0: The Deviation Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and today I have Parker Burns with me here. Parker, do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, um, I'm Parker Burns. I'm with Coach Parker Fitness. Uh, That's based out of Utah Fitness Institute here in Salt Lake City. Uh, I'm also the chapter coordinator for the PKD Foundation uh, Salt Lake City chapter, and uh, both Paige and I are trainers with the Labs for the...
1: And one final add-on to that is you also happen to be my boyfriend.
0: That's true. That is
1: true. That does not play a role in why he's here today. I do also think he's an incredible person. Um, I wouldn't be dating him if I didn't think that, but that's besides the point. A fair point. Um, anyways, so I've asked him to come here today so he can share his life story because it's, it's quite interesting and, and quite extraordinary, actually. So would you mind starting from the beginning?
0: Um, Yeah, it's, where to start? Uh, So for me, I was born in southern Utah, a really small town called Rockville. so it's uh, 256 people. Um, Eventually went to high school, it was three cities over in Hurricane. Uh, Once I graduated there, came up to Salt Lake City, uh, went to the University of Utah, got my degree in exercise sports science, specialized as a health and wellness professional and have worked uh, in and around that field for close to six years seven years now so um, and i know that's a very broad uh, rundown of my life (laughs) but um you
1: skipped a couple years there just a few um so so what happened in between all of that? Like, how is it that you ended up in Salt Lake? I know I know an awful lot about you, so.
0: Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, So originally, in Southern Utah, I had no plans of going to college. Um, had a girlfriend, senior of high school. Thought she was great. Uh, I was working for the National Park Service at the time. Uh, at, at the time, I thought it was great money. Um, and it, the best part was it was, a, it was a seasonal job, so it was only for three months, but I was like, oh, I'm set, I got it. Um, it was actually my father who was very insistent on me going to college, um, and I, I remember along the way the U was the only place I really considered. Um, I had a full-ride scholarship to Dixie, I had a partial scholarship to the um, University of Wyoming up in Laramie. Um, but and the only place that didn't offer me any money was the U and that's where I chose to go. Um, why? Why did I choose to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so my family had gone there. Uh, my cousin, Jake, uh, went to school there, did his undergrad, um, went to school, medical school in Texas and then residency in Alabama. But um, at the time, the U was kind of the cool place to go. Um, and at Funny story with that is I was a cheerleader in high school, and a lot of my scholarships were based around cheer. So Dixie offered me a full ride there. Wyoming was for cheer. Um, And then, yeah, the U I tried out for the team, didn't make it. Um, A few months later they actually offered me a spot, uh, which I turned down. Uh, It just didn't didn't mesh with my life at the time. And I was really hesitant coming up. It was kind of like, I'll do a semester, see where it is, and ended up loving it. And it was just this whole new world outside of a small town. And you get to meet new people. And it really just kind of showed me how much I was missing living down there. And I know that's something we've talked about. um, When I know you were living down there and we were talking, and I just was saying, you know, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. I went through that myself. So.
1: It's hard. It's comfortable. It's, if anyone listening ever been to Rockville, it's an extraordinary place. I mean, you're at the, you're one city outside of Zion National Park. So it's really beautiful. Um, and, and that's kind of what's going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the best part too is that there's no crime. Um, the stores typically don't even have people there. It's an honor-based system. So there's a fruit stand where you take what you want, leave money if you take something. Um, and even when we were just down there this last weekend, we found a oh my uh, donation bin that didn't have a lock on it. You could open it up, and it was filled with cash. And its I mean, I guess it's something up here in, in Salt Lake you become a little bit callous to. You know, like, I don't leave my car unlocked. I'd be hesitant if I left my bag somewhere. And it's something that in southern Utah or in these really small towns, that's not a reality. Mm-mm.
1: No, because I i mean, I grew up just outside of L.A. And I remember when I moved to Utah at the end of high school. And I remember driving past those fruit stands and just being like, wait, what? There's, there's money there. Like, people, like, what? Yeah. This is a completely different world. But anyways um so going back a little bit to before you before you moved up here to Salt Lake Mm -hmm. um I have no really smooth way of going into this but you were you were diagnosed with PKD and would you talk a little bit about that and like that day kind of
0: yeah yeah that goes pretty far back so I was 11 years old um went into the bathroom uh, going number one, and uh, there was blood in my urine. So of course being 11, panicked, started yelling for my dad. Um, he came in and you know, it was something that, uh, so my mother has PKD. So I think it was something that was on their radar to keep an eye out for. Would
1: you just explain what that is?
0: Yeah, oh sorry. Um, and so PKD is polycystic kidney disease. Um, so poly, many, cystic, cyst, um, in the kidneys and eventually or what happens is it grows over time um, The cysts get bigger kidneys get bigger and they rupture and, and kind of take up good tissue and so uh, function will drop and eventually uh, lead to kidney failure either transplant dialysis or you know death and um uh, But, I mean, and with PKD, I think a a really important note is that, um, one, it's very common. It's actually the number one cause of kidney disease from an inherited disease, Um, and yet it's typically unknown, Um, and it reacts differently in everybody. So for me, I've had it since I was 11. I'm 26 now. In good health, um, I do have some... Uh, size issues, some pain issues, but my function is very high and then there are stories of people that are diagnosed and have a transplant within three years. So there are differing degrees of um, severity. Uh, but yeah, so 11 years old, um, you know, see blood in my urine, call my call for my father, and it was on their radar, um, went in to see the doctor. Um, I had a kidney infection where they initially saw, all right, he has some cysts in his kidneys. Um, And for me, it was, you know, at 11 years old, how do you really grasp mortality or this is a lifelong disease? Or, you know, even understand that you have to take blood pressure medication, and watch what you eat and drink water. I mean, it's a lot. And um, so I really just kind of, I didn't really care. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm sick, I need to get better. Um, My mother took it very hard, Um, she still does. uh, Blames herself for, you know, I have PKD and it's from her, which I've never, it's never even been remotely how I feel. Um, And I think a lot of that comes from my understanding of the human body as I gained in college and, and just kind of understanding it's not that's just the risk you take having children. Right? You know, It wasn't an intentional thing. Um, but yeah, it, you know, for the first few years, um, actually, honestly, probably for the first decade, I had a really hard time controlling my blood pressure. I've had high blood pressure since I was 12. Um, and the issue was, is that the doctors would basically tell me I was lying. I'd say, hey, the medication's not working. Or, you know, I get lightheaded, or I don't like the way I feel. They'd just be like, oh, you're just not taking it. It'd be working if you took it. And the problem was, and you know this from dating me, the moment someone tells me, you know, whether to do something or not to do something, I pretty much do the opposite. Um, and so a lot of what they, the way they were coming at me with it, I became very defiant. I stopped taking it. Um kind of in my angsty teenage years. um, I went through this really, actually I should say this, it went from my angsty teenage years to early adulthood. I had this mindset of I would not get a transplant. Um, You know, I kind of had this mindset of these were the cards I was dealt, I have to play them out. Um, You know, a a kidney that could go to me could also go to, you know, a father, son, you know, somebody else and, you know, and I, I kind of viewed it as it's between me and them and I think it should be them. You know, and which, I mean, you know, and I think a lot of that has changed as I've grown older um, realized that I, I too, have things to offer. I have things to live for. Um, so, yeah, my opinion's changed on that a lot, but at the same time, it's, it's not something that I don't want to transplant anytime soon, and I'm going to hold out as long as I can. Um, but yeah, so that was, you know, that's the PKD has been in the background most of my life. Um, I would say in the last two years, it's been more on the forefront and, and more of something that I actively um, volunteer against and, and fight day to day in terms of how I live my life.
1: Did it have any extra effect on you seeing your mom go through it all and then finding out that you too had it and wondering if your paths would be similar at all?
0: You know, some of it, a lot of the hardship she went through was when I was young. Um, So I was six years old, seven years old when she had her transplant. Um, And thankfully her sister was the one to give her a kidney. Um, the anti-rejection meds and the steroids involved uh, did take their toll, but I think it was something that you know I never viewed it as like, oh, that's those are doing that to my mother. It just kind of was like, oh, like that's my mom, right? You know, like that's that's how she looks, that's how her skin is, that's how she, that's her energy level, like aching is normal. Um, and it was when I got older and. And gain an understanding of you know physiology and um, how those medications can affect you. Where I really started to notice, like, oh, you know, this is what happened to her. Um, and then in terms of how that affects me, and in terms of, do I feel I'm going to end up like that? Yes, no. Um, you know, we live different lives. Um, I went down the, the path of fitness and health and that's now my career and, um, you know, one thing we kind of talk about is is if I ever did need a transplant, physically I'm in a, I'm in a good place to do it, you know what I mean, I'm young, I'm healthy, um, I'm strong, you know, it's, it's, it's those things that everything is in line um, and so the complications would be very minimal as opposed to dealing with a plethora of other diseases that normally accompany PKD. Um, and actually, within the last two years, um, my blood pressure has gone down to the point that I stopped taking medication. So initially, they told me, you're gonna start with this med, you'll max it out, we'll start you on another one, you'll max it out, and we're just gonna keep going until, you know so we can keep it under control, but it's going to be something that progresses for the rest of your life. Um, which is not the case. Um, And for me, the biggest thing actually for me was diet. Um, Red meat is a trigger for me. So if I eat a lot of red meat or very consistently, my blood pressure goes up. Um, As I've slowly removed that from my diet is where I saw uh, blood pressure drop. And a lot of as we started to do more meal prep, where I'm not eating as much processed food, more vegetables, more consistently, is where now I'm seeing even more of a decline. Um, And not to say that I was eating terribly for the last 20 or 15 years, but you you get better at it as you practice.
1: Do you remember when things started to shift and when you, when you decided to start taking things more seriously and why?
0: I think a lot of it came in steps because um, I know I started with don't care at all to, well, you know, I'm doing a lot of damage here at college. I, I didn't care at all. You know, I was drinking every weekend and, you know, was dehydrated all the time. I wasn't eating well. You know, I, I did some damage, um, and there was a scary couple of years of uh, I had cyst rupture. So it kind of feels like a fever, and then a really bad backache, um, and then I'd have blood in my urine, um, and it went from about once a year to about you know every six months, and then there was uh, I think the worst one. And where it really kind of shifted to, like, you know, I need to be taking my meds, I need to be drinking water, um, was the Highland Games at St. Joseph the Worker about two years ago. Um, we were out all day in the sun. I got really sunburned. Um, beer and, and scotch is a, is a staple of the event. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of like a lot of a lot of sun, a lot of alcohol, dehydrated. We're also lifting weights. Um, and one, one of them, which I was twisting a lot, which is not great for, for uh, PKD. Uh,
1: Isn't there one thing where you're, like, throwing a tree trunk or something like that? A Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. So kaber, caver, um, I don't even know how long it is. I think it's, like, 18 feet. The one we throw, I think, is about, oh, is that, it's either 85 pounds or 110 pounds. Um, but I mean even in that it's very linear I'm not twisting Um, but I mean anything with it you know there's a ton of pressure involved and I always laugh at the doctor because they say you lift heavy weights and I go define heavy and they say 25 pounds which every single day of my life for the last 7 years I've lifted something over 25 pounds you know and, and it's uh, but so with the Highland Games um went through that all day it was somebody's birthday we went out and celebrated that night um came home and as I was getting ready for bed realized there was a uh, massive amount of blood in my urine um and somehow a stroke of luck uh, a good friend of mine Will Parman uh, his wife had left her purse um uh, and so he walks in, and I was like, hey, look, I need you to drive me to the ER. So he drives me up, he's a really funny guy, um, really comical. He goes, uh, drops me off, and there was cops out front. And he drops me off, and he, he rolls down the window, and he yells, love you, don't die. And, the guy, and, the, and I'm <laughs> laughing, and then the cop looks at me, he's like, you have really bad friends. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so go into the ER, um, and so it was one of those where, where I ruptured it, but it wasn't just, it didn't just happen. It was something that I did. Mm-hmm. And so then it started being, well, can I continue my lifestyle? Can I continue coaching? Can I continue lifting? Um,
1: was this after you had started to make some healthier choices, or was this before, like, you started taking those steps?
0: I would I was making healthier choices, but not for the reason of my kidneys. Okay. It was like, oh, I want to look better. I want to be stronger. I want to... There's always that, and then the, when it really started to click was after this injury where I was like removing um, red meat, removing you know most of the caffeine. Um, I still have some uh, drinking more water, and you know kind of alongside this was uh, meeting Dr. Westenfelder. So I worked. So he trained with the owner of Utah Fitness Institute, Paul Daniels. Trained with Paul, and I would train in the same room as Dr. Westenbuilder, not knowing who he was. And as the kidney stuff started to get more serious, you know, word got around, and I come to find out he's one of the head nephrologists at the U. So I talked with him, and wonderful, wonderful man, um, incredibly smart and blunt. And that's one way that I I listen is is through blindness. So instead of saying, you know, reduce your protein, don't eat as much protein, don't have as much salt, you know, drink a little bit more water. He gave me hard set rules. It was, you know, you can have red meat once a week. You know, I don't want to see any caffeine. I'm like, well, I'm gonna have a little bit. He goes, a little, you know, and I get, it was these hard set, you know, no creatine, no whey protein, you need at least this much water. Um, and it was no nonsense, it wasn't gentle, and that's what I I needed, um, and so having a strict set of rules and and kind of the motivation to follow them, it's been, um, it's been a lot better in terms of the health form, so.
1: And then from there, after the Highland Games, you, you made some adjustments, and now you've seen some changes in your blood pressure and how you're feeling overall. I mean, was that the last time you had a cyst rupture?
0: As far as I know, I haven't bled from one since. Um, there was one we had where it was against my rib. Mm-hmm. So I had a cyst that, um, so basically, to give you an idea of how big my kidneys are now, Um, They're about the size of a football. I'm a pretty small guy, um, you know, five foot eight, about 155 pounds. So to have two footballs um, kind of hidden in my abdomen, um, you know, goes from my pelvis to my diaphragm and from my spine to my ribs, so massive. Um, If you want to have nightmares, Google what PKD looks like. Um, but I had a cyst that was right on the edge and my rib was right against it. So anytime I took a breath in, my rib would kind of poke anyway. So that one, I mean, there's some, I'm still kind of learning what, what causes them to swell like, you know, what, what aggravates it, you know, what are some things that I can do? And a lot of it is just trial and error.
1: So then through all of this, what had you get involved, um, get involved with the organization?
0: Uh, So actually when I, I'd say in like 2009, 2010 when I came to the U, um, still in those real angsty, you know, growing years, I I felt very alone in it. Um, You know, my mother was post-transplant. I didn't really relate to how she had um, gone through PKD or was living with it still. And I just felt like no one really, like, could understand me. And so I reached out to the foundation. Um, I think I had reached out about volunteering. No response. Um, reached out again in 2014, no response, um, which is something that I've talked with them about now. Um, uh, and then it was 2016, um, I skipped the local of contact altogether and I called the headquarters in Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, and they were a meeting. It was, you know, let's schedule a phone call, we'd love to talk to you. You know, it was a 45-minute phone call. Oh, that's great, we're looking for a coordinator, a walk coordinator, would you be willing? Um, I think they had held one walk in the past ten years Um, and so I was kind of revamping it and we raised just shy of 10000 I want to say it was $8,500 our first year. Uh, wonderful um, turnout from the, the community, and we hit as many roadblocks as you, you could possibly hit in terms of planning this. Um, and after our first walk, the, the chapter coordinator here in Salt Lake um, decided to step down, and without they didn't look for a new person I, I was on the phone with them about uh, taking that position and moving up so now I'm the one that people contact here in Salt Lake um, and recently I took on a new walk coordinator, Lindsay Roper who's been fantastic um, her daughter has ARPKD um, which is another form of, um, I have what's called autosomal dominant uh PKD, um, her daughter has autosomal recessive. I think she's two or three now. Um, very, very um, lethal in children. So she made it through. She's doing well. Um, wonderful, wonderful little girl. Um, and a lot of that for me, it it became as with anything, it, it's not about you. You know what I mean? It's it, this My disease is not even about me. I mean, I can't do anything about it. I can, of course, delay the inevitable, and I can do things to benefit myself, but really how I'm going to make an impact with the PKD foundation or within the community is serving the community. And, um, you know, I would have killed to have someone like me when I was a teenager. You know, and uh, just having people to talk to that understand what I'm going through, and it's not, and it's one of those things where it just sounds whiny. You know what I mean? I'm a backwards. It's, uh, you know, it's all these things. But to have someone that really understands it, you know what I mean? And it's not even for, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not looking for consolation. I'm just looking for understanding. You know, and it, unless you have it, it's hard to explain. So, um, yeah, and, and, and the PKD Foundation is doing wonderful things. Um, they're one of the few organizations that I can think of that truly, you know, last year, 100% of the proceeds from the walk went towards PKD uh, studies and, and, and studying the, the what's what we're looking for? Finding a cure, mm-hmm. treatment, whatever it was. Um, research. Research, that's mm-hmm. what uh, went towards research and they're all very caring everyday people doing this in their communities across the country and actually around the world. We have a, a chapter in Canada.
1: So if somebody wanted to, if somebody listening today wanted to donate, what's, what's the website that they could go to?
0: Um, oh man, I should know this. Um, there's the PKD org. Um, and then if you're interested in donating to a local walk, there's walk 4 um, And really any simple Google search for the PKD Foundation um, is, uh, works just as well.
1: Okay, perfect, and I'll, I'll throw some links in the description I write about,
0: yeah.
1: about you and this. Um, so, let's see. So that's one aspect of service that you do, and then the other aspect is what we both do with Labs for Liberty. But we got involved with it in different ways. Your your story behind it is is a little funnier than mine, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, right in the beginning years of, of Labs for Liberty, um, it was mainly a student group at the University of Utah. We were using. Students as fosters, so the president of the organization, Jake Sherhart, uh, was a fraternity brother of mine. So I, I kind of got involved there. Where I was seeing, you know, his service dog Brody, who's you know the golden child. Uh, you know, I knew Brody, and, and you started to see the other dogs around, uh, and a lot of it was just I liked playing with the dogs. Um,
1: Despite the fact that are allergic of
0: them. <laughs> yeah, super allergic. So anytime I pet or hug the pups, and any every dog is a puppy, I don't care what you say, um, I get hives on my arms and my legs, um, and I itch. And it just goes to show that I, I really do care about these dogs because I'll go through that And
1: potentially how stubborn you are.
0: And how stubborn I am. Um,
1: I feel like that's a good use of the stubbornness, though. Yeah, know okay. yeah.
0: Um, but so, uh, you know, I, I knew Jake and we were friends and, um, but I wasn't really involved in the group and I would go up to the outpost and shoot with, um, they have a wonderful gun range up there. I'd shoot with Jake and a few other people. And then they got a this little teeny chocolate lab puppy named Belle. And she proved to be a very difficult service dog throughout her training, and, um, and the foster something happened where he couldn't he couldn't take her that day and he was down really far south i was living in midvale and jake called me and said hey like or is there any way you can watch this dog for a couple days and i had a yard and a lot of free time my my career allows that and, um, i was like yeah sure. bring her down and so back then it was, you know, this guy shows up and he had a crate and these, you know, bags of stuff, food and manuals and all this other stuff. And Belle, who I, I love to death, and I think she's an amazing dog and I miss her dearly, uh, was a nightmare. <laughs> like she was screaming in her kennel and was having accidents in the house. and You know, it was just this nonstop thing. And, uh, I couldn't leave her alone. And so I took her to work. And so at Utah Fitness Institute, she runs in the room, and it's all carpet. She runs to the center of the room, jams her nose into the floor, and starts ripping up carpet, and then pee. <laughs> And So I put her in the bathroom just because I was like, well, you know, if she has an accident there, it's easy to clean up, and it'll keep her quiet, whatever. And then it's a concrete bathroom, we like tile and all that. So when she started whining and yelping, it echoed through the whole gym, and she's screaming like someone's in there beating her. And I'm just like, man, like, I don't know what to do. And went to my other job at the time I was with uh, Fit to Recover, uh, working with recovering addicts. And you know, same thing, peed in the floor, whining in the corner. And I called the foster, no answer. Called again, no answer. And I finally get through to him, and he's like, hey, like I'm really sorry, I'm. I'm at the hospital with a family emergency. I'm just like, oh, shoot. You know, like, what do I, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm not in this organization. Like, I, I'm not supposed to have this dog. Um, so called some friends that were involved, and they drove over and picked her up. And, um, I ended up moving in with Jake and, and a handful of other people.
1: Wait, how old was Belle during this time?
0: Between 12 and 16 weeks. So she was a baby. Yeah. And a nightmare
1: Mind you, most I've never heard stories quite like this Other than when it comes to Belle When she was a baby And she's a fantastic service dog I mean, she's been gifted to her veteran at this point And everything, but Man, okay, so continue Yeah, I
0: mean, like she chewed the The seat adjuster and the Xterra Actually, she pulled She pulled a piece of plastic From somewhere And I don't know where but Off I of the exterior, yeah, and I had it in the glove department in case I ever found where it went. <laughs> My Never God. found it. So somewhere in that car, there's a missing piece <laughs> that she found, and I don't know. It just, but she was just—it gives you insight to the joy she was. Um,
1: Thank goodness that. So we're we're getting a a twelve-week-old puppy tomorrow to start training from from square one for the next year, year and a half for uh, for his veteran and thankfully from my understanding this is a very calm puppy so hopefully we won't run into those same issues
0: and it, the other thing too was when bell came in i had never trained a dog true i you know i'd had dogs growing up but by the time i was you know old enough to know anything they were you know two three years old and um good dogs and so it was, it was just a different world um and now you know Puppies are really fun, and you know I think the teenage dogs are the ones that are hard. Um,
1: And those are the ones we've been primarily working with, so. Yeah, that's our
0: specialty now.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you moved in with Jake.
0: Yeah, and it was um, you know babysitting became more often, and you know if Jake was at work or at school, I I'd help watch, and I asked Jake a lot of questions of you know, well if I want to teach him this, what do I do or. In this scenario, how do I correct this? And um, Jake is a fantastic teacher, fantastic trainer, um, really good with dogs. Um, he, he really is kind of like a modern day dog whisperer in that they all fall in love with him. They get mad separation anxiety from him. And you know, at the end of the day, he turns out these amazing dogs. Um, but so he kind of taught me everything there. Um And as as this organization grows, they've kind of changed how they do things. The two years or what, like a year and a half ago, they started implementing that if you were going to have a dog or work with the dogs, you needed to come to an orientation. So Paige and I went up to the orientation even though we were somewhat involved at that point um, and spoke with the trainer at the time, about I was interested in learning more about training as was Paige and um, or as, as were you. It's weird talking like this. Um, but yeah, you know they jumped at the opportunity because they they didn't have that many trainers. Um,
1: and it wasn't at that time. It wasn't really an option for us to to foster a dog just because you lived with Jake, who at that time was still the president of the campus club. So he had one or more dogs at a time and um and i was at your house often
0: yeah um and so what was it two weeks after that conversation uh the trainers left for new york and paige and i were teaching the puppy class based off of emails we received Um, so it was trial by fire and you know of course there were other trainers president or president there and, um, the president of the, uh, organization was really involved, but you know, we got, we got hands on trial by fire experience on how to train these dogs. And so much of it is, you know, every dog is different. It's just like a kid. What works with one doesn't work with another. Um, so we've really had to learn and adapt and thankfully we have a, a great group of people to bounce ideas off of and get help if we need it and, uh, you know, now we've, we've come to the point where we're a foster and, and train all of the adults, mm-hmm.
1: so. And we were able to go to, go to that training in, in Missouri, which was super helpful too and. And you're right. I mean, so much of it really is trial by fire, just because every dog is so, so different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But... Yeah, I mean. I actually remember when you and I first started talking, it was before we ever started dating, and it was before you were involved with um, the PKD Foundation, but you were involved with Labs for Liberty, and you were involved with Fit to Recover, and I know you haven't gone into this yet, but... Um, Parker also trains some very interesting people who have some, just some difficult physical situations that he needs to, he needs to figure out ways to work around. And I think he said something at one point about working in a fire station. I don't know. It just, no, I remember something like that because I had it made up in my mind. Maybe that's what it was. Because I had in my mind, you were this like version of... I don't know a superhero or something You're not like wrong. that. I don't know about that.
0: No, it's. I mean, a lot of it is. Um, and, and so, this is something that my father and I have, have disagreed upon for years. Um, you know, he he's very old school, very traditional. Of you know, go to school, get a good job make a lot of money, support your family. You know, it was, it was you know, doctor, lawyer. Uh, a lot of medical field came up, but like, you know, it was these very traditional jobs. Um, and I've always been, and I, I wish I could remember who gave me this advice, because um, I've used it my entire life, was uh, if you could do anything, and money wasn't a factor, right? Money didn't exist. What would you fill your day with? Um, and that was kind of the secret. So, and I followed that, you know, I, I was when I first went to school I was um, health education and promotion to become an EMT or paramedic. Um, I switched to psychology for like a month, and it was awful. Um, and then you know, I realized I was spending a lot of time in the gym every day, and people would start to come to me for help on on how to get in shape, and I really enjoyed teaching them. And it kind of just fell in into my lap of I can become a teacher, I can teach fitness, and I can become a trainer. Um, and so it's you know, it's not the most stable job. It's it's not you know, it's typically not associated with, you know, Maseratis and mansions, you know. Um, So a lot of that was, uh, I followed passion rather than money. And that came with, you know, Fit to Recover, which is an amazing organization here in Salt Lake. Um, You know, I think anybody should look them up, Fit to Recover. Um, I think it's .org now. But um, they work with people in recovery from addiction, and they kind of opened it up to all sorts, you know, drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, military, PTSD, kind of the whole nine. Um, and I, you know, when I first went to them, I think the first meeting was, we can, uh, we can give you 500 a month. And I was, deal, good, let's go. Because I believed in what they were doing, and I saw an opportunity to help people. And I'll never forget my first day there, Um, they would do a gratitude circle where everybody in the circle would say one thing they were grateful for. And for these people that are really, they're in a bad place in their life, it's a good reminder uh, to keep positive. And there's this kid, um, he said, I'm six days clean off of six years of heroin use. And this is the first day I felt good. And like, I'm tearing up thinking about it now because it was, that was the reason I was in fitness, to help somebody like him. You know what I mean? Because that was, you know, in six years and you've done so much damage to your body and I can, I can help you feel good, even if it's for this hour. That means so much more to me than, you know, the trophy wife down the street that's had more plastic surgery than anything and needs to fill her time. You know, know, with those ones, there's no fulfillment in that. Um, It has to be, like, in in being a coach and a personal trainer, um, you deal with people at at very vulnerable places in their life. Because if I'm really going to succeed with someone, I need them to recognize where they're at, what is it that they need to change? Where is this stemming from? What's contributing to it? And so, for a lot of these people, it's pain. You know, it's uh, it's weight. It's not feeling attractive to their partner. Not feeling enough in life in general. You know, they've never felt attractive. They've never felt um, athletic or cool. And it's these very deep, personal, painful issues. And you know, it's for me. I just have kind of chased helping people and trying to improve other people's lives as, as a way of fulfilling them. So.
1: I love that. So what's, what's coming up next for you? Like, what, what do you have on the docket?
0: Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is continuing to train people, um, get as much experience as I can, uh, all too often you see coaches that get a degree online, or not a degree, a certification online, and open up a business and have supplements and products and things like that. Um, and they sell that cookie cutter stuff that doesn't work. Um, and for me, like I'm excited to find these people that are, um, as you said, you know, they're struggling, they have medical ailments, physical ailments. Um, so every day, or every time I get a new client in, it's something new, and it's uh, so just learning how to better serve people, um, and of course, always trying to increase my clientele. Uh, with the service dogs, I mean, for the next year, we have one that we're working with every day, and um, uh, going to a, a veteran in need, and you know that's that's something that I take really seriously, and. Uh, with the PKD Foundation, um, I'm currently looking for venues within Salt Lake to hold um, resource meetings and, and meet and greets and things like that. Um, so sort of getting more involved with the community and, and providing them with the resources they need. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of it for me is, is what comes along, what I want to do, and uh, just really just doing whatever I want.
1: And now just going back to what's on the docket for, for coaching Mm -hmm. though, um, because you're, I mean, you're an incredible trainer. You, and I'm not just saying that because, because you're my boyfriend, you also train me and it's, it's changed my, I mean, fundamentally it's changed the way I think and way, the way I do fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, and how can, how can people find you?
0: Uh, so I'm online at CoachParkerFitness.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, CoachParkerFitness. Um, I do have a Twitter. I never use it. I might start using it more, but that's not a good place. Um, and then there's Facebook as well, Coach Parker Fitness. Um, that's one way to really find me.
1: Um, and then, what is it about? about the way you train that's so different from other people because I mean I was never a star athlete by any means but I had so many coaches growing up with all the team sports I did and then I've had numerous personal trainers and you're and it's not like anybody sucked by any means they were all great but you were honestly head and shoulders above all of them and so what is it like is it something about the way you think about just walk me through this because I can't explain it to save my life.
0: Well, a lot of it, I mean, so much of it comes from who I learned from. Um, So for me, like, I started in college as, you know, I liked bodybuilding, you know, I was a bodybuilder, and I was really bad at it. You know, I was never, I mean, I got in shape and I had a six pack and things like that, but I was never, like, really defined, and I never competed, or even came close to being able to. Um, I started up a student group at the U, of U of U Weightlifting and Fitness um, to help students get uh, get in shape or learn how to, um, and I actually was introduced to Dan John, who for anybody in the fitness industry knows, he's a world renowned strength coach. Um, his daughter actually made fun of me <laughs> and corrected my form at a local gym, and uh, she put us in touch, and, and uh, you know, I... I went down to train with Dan and get a feel for what he did and from that moment forward we've, we've really established an amazing um, friendship and I consider him family. Um, his wife is my adopted mother up here um, and I love I love the Johns and, and all of the family there um, as much as my own. Um, but so he took me under his wing, uh, handed me the right books to read, the right equipment to use, and um, I would go to seminars as his assistant. And I would get in, and then he would send me to coaches that I should learn from. So rather than assisting Dan, I was I was listening, and I was backstage writing, and, you know, doing all these things. And I traveled the country, and you know, I got to go to New York and work with Mark Fisher Fitness uh, because of Dan. Um, he really shaped the way that I view fitness and view people Um, so some of it is you know everybody is an athlete you know in a sense you know and and we want to train a certain way and then there's the um i don't even know what to call it you know the term we kind of use is mexican food Um, i think it's a, a joke that i can't remember who who tells it But it's basically, you know, with Mexican food, you have burrito, which is tortilla, beans, rice, cheese, meat, right? Then you have uh, enchilada, tortilla, beans, rice, meat, cheese. It's all the same ingredients, but it's just put together differently. And that's how fitness is. You know, for you, um, if we said, all right, how do we lose weight? All right, so we're going to do squats, we're going to do presses, we're going to do carries, we're going to do all this. And then someone comes in and says, well, you know, I want to put on muscle all right, cool, we're gonna do squats, we're gonna do carries, we're gonna do, right? It's the same things, but it's how you put it together. Um, And there was such an emphasis on correctives, um, learning how the body should move, um, avoiding pain, avoiding injury. Some look at it like functional fitness. um, And I think a big thing that's missed, and maybe this is the difference, is with functional fitness within the definition is to provide a function. And so I think people lose sight of that. Um, If, you know, for me, when I train, the reason I train is to be really hard to kill. If somebody, you know, is to threaten my family or you, or, you know, someone near to me or close to me, I want to be able to physically overpower them and outlast them in every sense. And that's my reason and that's my function, right? And so it doesn't really matter if I have three percent body fat. It doesn't it doesn't go in line with my function. Right? Um, you know I have a one of my clients who is fantastic, he's been with me the longest, my friend, you know, he's sixty eight years old, retired doctor. His function is to lose weight be able to go on walks for a long time, live healthier, feel better. So having him, you know, back squat, T25, doesn't make sense. You know, so the goal isn't to get him really strong in a specific lift or to, um, you know, look a certain way. You know, we're trying to get him to eat better, move better, feel better, um, and it changes the goals and it changes the methods Um, and you know, one, and you know, I think my head is filled with Dan John quotes, but you know, it's, it's keep the goal, the goal. Um, and there's a saying also that, you know, you're a coach when you care more about your client's success than your own. Um, and you know, back to what I said at the very beginning, it's not about you. If I have someone come in and they want to lose weight. It's not about how good of a coach I am. I'm not trying to prove that. My goal is to have them lose weight. My goal is to make their life better. Um, because it's not about me. It's about them. It's about what they need, what they're paying me to do. Which, that's a big key that trainer's meant. Someone's paying you for something. You don't do the bait and switch and give them what you think they need. You give them what they want. Even if you disagree, you know, I have clients that are like, I want to get really strong. He goes, well, your shoulder's busted. And they're like, well, I don't care. I don't want to fix that. Right? I don't want to, they don't want to take the steps to fix it. And so that's the thing is, you know, if I start only focusing on the shoulder and I ignore strength and I ignore getting big, they're going to leave me. They're going to go to somebody who will do what they want. Um, so that's the thing is you know of course part of my job is convincing them to take care of the pain take care of injury take care of all that but um,
1: then it's really I assume just a matter of finding finding a safe way to help them get big and strong Mm
0: -hmm. it's what works Um, you know a big thing with fitness and um, you know for everybody listening to this one there's no secret there's no secret there's no pill you can take, um, supplements are, are, 99% of the time, uh, waste of money, complete hoax. Um, uh, every diet works. It's the one you stick to and it's the one <laughs> that works for you. Um, everybody's different. You know what I mean? That's the thing is like for you, you know, I know for you sugar is, um, affects you differently than sugar affects me. So you know, if we go on the same diet of low carb, you know, it might affect you more than it affects me, right? There's, there's these, you know, you can't use like I said earlier the cookie cutter program, the cookie cutter diet. It doesn't make sense. Um, and so you know, anybody who's listening that's you know struggling with fitness and health, it's try things. You know, take six weeks to, you know. Uh, Eat low fat or low carb, or you know, increase your protein. Try walking. Try exercising. Try everything. Go hiking. Go swimming. Do yoga. Do whatever you want. Be active, um, and find what works for you. You know, and that's. I think that's such a a big part of. Uh, I think one reason trainers nowadays, like they're good. But they they they're great for some people. They're okay for others, and then for some they just don't work. And it's because they don't have that many tools in their tool belt. You know, they learn how to use barbells, or they learn how to bodybuild and they focus so solely on that that of course the people that want bodybuilding and will benefit from bodybuilding could use their expertise. It's great, um, but you know when you're working with a general population. Where some want to be bodybuilders, some want to dance with their daughter in twenty years, and some just want to hurt less. Um, that one tool doesn't work, you know. So for me, it's barbells, it's kettlebells, it's TRX, it's uh, mobility, it's um, body movement, it's you know out outside of the gym habits, sleeping, eating, drinking. You know, it's all these things that play into how you how you live. Um, and it makes my job more exciting because I'm constantly learning. And if I was, you know, if I, I focused on kettlebells for so long, I, you know, I, of course there's always more to learn, but I got the gist of it. You know what I mean? And it, it becomes boring. There's nothing new. You know, it goes, well, we'll do swings. and oh, we'll do presses. Yeah, let's try this. You know, and there's some fun circus tricks here and there. But when you open yourself up to everything, um, barbells and body weight and nutrition and you know all these things the learning never stops you know and it's it's such a major part of fitness and health is continued education
1: so. i like that and that is exactly why you are head and shoulders above so many other people
0: and i mean and, and, from my perspective yeah from your perspective and i mean within even within that like um, I agree with you, but then at the same time, like there are coaches I think that are well above me.
1: Well, that's always going to be the case, though. Yeah. I mean,
0: and I love that I still have people to look up to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, Eric Cressy, uh, Ben Bruno, Dan John, um, Jeff Hemingway, Mark Fisher.
1: Who, by the way, if any, if anyone listening lives in New York, and if you're anywhere, aren't they in? hell's kitchen is that where they're at
0: yeah hell's Kitchen. Minute.
1: oh my god mark fisher fitness is the most amazing gym i've ever been to and i just highly doubt they're gonna open up a place in utah but wouldn't that just
0: be amazing you opened up one in la yeah recently.
1: ch what is that called
0: um you know in colorado we have uh josh hillis has been phenomenal. What's his book called? Uh, Fat Loss Happens on Monday. God, that's uh, good. So it's it's Dan, John, and Josh Hillis collaboration. Um, if you're a woman trying to lose weight, or really anybody trying to lose weight, that book is where I get most of my... Uh, I steal his ideas.
1: Well, it just like, changes your whole mindset around everything. It's something yeah. that you let me borrow for, for a while, and it's just fantastic.
0: Um, and Josh is amazing person, Um, nutrition-wise, Mark Halpern out of Vegas, Vegas. his wife is one of the best PTs I know, and so that's the thing is, you know, one of the benefits of my job is, is I find people smarter than me and better than me, and I learn from them, and then I get to name drop them on podcasts and call them when I'm struggling with my clients. You know, so you find these coaches um, that are just doing good things, they're doing the right thing, they're smart, um, and they're innovative. You know what I mean? Taylor Lewis and, and Seth Munsey. I feel like I'm leaving people out. It's, it's just these, you know, I, I, there was a saying I used a year, years ago it was uh, I will influence millions because millions have influenced me. And all of those people, both men and women, have, have shaped the way that I view my life. Um, you know, with Dan, a major one was, he always said that your life should spiral outward. And so if you look at, you know, the corners of your life where you have work, it was work, play, pray, so like your spiritual side, and then like relationships and things like that. And so basically, as your life expands out, if I'm working more, I need to take more time to play and more time to be to go inside myself and, and find my spiritual side and especially spend more time in the relationship department. You know, and, and everybody and every opportunity is either going to ex- expand your life or um, shrink it. And so when you find someone that shrinks your life or a job or... or you know, a new venture that it collapses you in, it's a good sign that it's not gonna work. Um you know, in the same regard, when you find somebody, especially in the relationship area, that expands your life, that makes that gives you more opportunity to work and play and, and helps you get in tune with your spiritual side and everything expands, that's the type of person that you can be with for the rest of your life. And yes, you know it's those things of within fitness. um, It's so much more than going to the gym. Now it's community, and for me, it's a spiritual thing. It's it's very self-reflective. But so it's finding it's finding like-minded people and people that are smarter than you and doing cool thing cooler things than you and where a lot of people nowadays will hate or, you know, they become jealous or they, they try and down put down these people, you know, turning and saying and reaching out to them because nine times out of 10, they're everyday people just doing what you're doing. And then you become friends with them and then they become a resource and they inspire you and they help you. Um, one, it's a much more positive way to go through life. And second, uh, you're not a piece of shit that tears down society, so...
1: Well, now all of you listening know exactly why I'm with this person and why, uh, why I asked Parker to come on the podcast today.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, also everybody listening, that you know, one of the things I expect in a relationship is uh, striving to be better. Um, I think mediocrity or accepting mediocrity is one of the most unattractive features a person can have um, you know so for Paige the reason I'm with her is you know where she's striving to do a podcast and she's following um, her passions doing this and the dogs and you know working you know working full time you know it's, it's all these things of um, she's not accepting mediocre and that's something that's really important
1: thanks babe all right well thank you for being here today and um and that wraps up this episode of the deviation podcast